Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Sam. And I'm Lou. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. This episode, we are joined by two returning guest co-pilots and fellow podcasters. From the Little Bit of Synergy podcast, Tony Thomas is back. Tony, good to have you on, man. Thank you for having me, man. I would not miss this. Okay. And from the State of America podcast, David Hudson returns. David, welcome back. And in a few short weeks, you're going to be taking over and raising the R4 podcast to even greater heights. Well, no, I don't know. I don't know if we can beat you, but what's so funny is we have your script typed out. And so I was working on a jar of flies issue today and I'm typing the script out. So we're going to do it exactly like you, but no, seriously, before we get going, it is an extreme honor that you trusted us to take this on. And uh, we're only going to try to be as good as you. Uh, this is a very original concept that you came up with the dialogue and, and the way it flows and it's become one of my favorite podcasts. And the fact that you're going to let us carry it on uh, means a lot to us. And we're going to try to do you proud. Well, right back at you, man. I can't thank you enough for keeping it going. I thought like one more episode and I'm killing this thing. So I'm really happy to see that you guys are going to keep it going. And I'll be a listener for sure. Cool. So on this episode, we're going to be reviewing Pink Floyd's 1973 album, The Dark Side of the Moon. Super listener Sam, this is your pick, your band, your superpower. Tell us about Pink Floyd and your history with Darkside. I'm positive I heard this when I was in the womb. <laughs> and so my dad was a Pink Floyd fan. Uh, my earliest memory of uh, where I understood that music could put you in a good mood was when I saw my dad throw his head back with his eyes closed and with a big smile on his face while Great Gig in the Sky was playing. It was probably high, too, but I didn't smell anything. <laughs> but, yeah, that's where that's how far back I go with this this album, this band. And it's like I've always it's always been there. And I've, it's like a blanket. It's a warm blanket for me at this point. All right. Lou, one more go around with Floyd. Give us your history with this band and this album. Pink Floyd's always been there. Pink Floyd's the band that you just don't listen to one song. When you put on a Pink Floyd record, you you expect to have your mood changed. You expect to have your mind blown. I didn't know Pink Floyd before this, and this is the record I know Pink Floyd for first. They were like no other group then. Uh, this was something completely different, and I liked it. And it's grown up with me, too, just like you said. Tony, what's your Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon story? Well, you know, I I would be nothing uh, as, a lit, as a musician or as a audiophile if it weren't for Pink Floyd. They're in everything. They're as important as the Beatles as far as, you know, foundational rock and roll, whatever. You know, that they started everything for me. Uh, they, they first piqued my ear with this album. I remember us and them being played on Flashback one Saturday night. And that that began everything and then i met sam and uh we took yeah he introduced me to everything else the whole floyd discog we took it from there and, and yeah love floyd all right david where do you come in with pink floyd in this particular album i became obsessed with pink floyd in 1992 i was a sophomore in college i heard a live version of comfortably numb off uh delicate sound of thunder and the hooks were in both sides of the mouth, and I was snorting the Kool-Aid, man. I wasn't drinking. I was snorting it. 
And um, they became such an obsession for me in college. You broke in college and you, know, you don't have any money and you and your friends are listening to this stuff constantly that the Shine On box set came out. And we viewed making it in life if we could just go afford to buy the Shine On box set that was like 150 bucks. And uh, me and my two roommates were so obsessed with Pink Floyd, we would go to house parties and we would take the CDs with us and go in there and take over the stereo system. It was just known if we walked in, it was going to be Pink Floyd. <laughs> and I read the Saucer Full of Secrets book, which is one of my favorite music books ever uh, when I was in college. And th- this is... Depending on the day, this is number two or number three band for me. This isn't an album. This is a piece of art. The cover is a piece of art. The music's a piece of art. The concept's a piece of art. And uh, it's it's a perfect album. It's the ultimate vinyl album. This is the album that you judge your stereo by. It's this one. So uh, I'm so excited to get to do this uh, and and, and grateful that uh, I got to be on this one because, man, this is... Seven out of five. This isn't a five out of five. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> now we're going to have something a little bit different from everybody else. Uh, this album right here turned me off to Pink Floyd for a little over 40 years. When my stoner friends in high school started getting into Floyd, I was a classic rock and hair metal kid, and I was absolutely not a stoner. I'm still not. But a lot of these tracks got a lot of airplay on classic rock radio. And I was like, okay, it's slow. It's got a lot of synths. It doesn't really rock that hard. Meh. But this is one of those bands and one of those albums that is unavoidable. It's part of the air we all breathe. <laughs> so around my senior year of high school, I borrowed this cassette from my uncle who had it. And I gave it a listen. And I did not like it. It was exactly what I thought it was. It did nothing for me. And I was like, keep it, druggies. This is not my thing. Now we've got a cut to well over 20 years later, and I'm in my early 40s, and I'd heard enough Pink Floyd shit on the radio, and my musical taste had expanded enough where I was like, okay, let's give Floyd another shot. So I started with The Wall, and fuck me sideways, I dug it. So I moved on to Wish You Were Here, and damn, this is pretty good too. So it was around the early 2010s, when I finally broke down and bought The Dark Side of the Moon for the first time on CD. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record directly swiped from Wikipedia. The Dark Side of the Moon is the eighth studio album by English rock band Pink Floyd, released on March 1st, 1973, on Harvest Records in Europe and Capitol Records in the United States. It was produced by Pink Floyd and was recorded from May 31st, 1972 to February 9th, 1973 at EMI Studios, London, England. For its original chart run, it reached number two on the UK Albums Chart and number one on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified 15 times platinum by the BPI and 15 times platinum by the RIAA. It has charted many times since its original run, but I'm not going to cover all of that. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got David Gilmore on vocals, guitars, and Synthi AKS. Nick Mason on drums, percussion, and tape effects. Roger Waters on bass guitar, vocals, VCS3, and tape effects. And Richard Wright on organ, piano, electric piano, EMS VCS3, Synthi AKS, and vocals. There are additional musicians which we'll mention as we see fit. 
All right, let's begin a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start off with Speak to Me, written by Nick Mason. Sam, what do you think? Well, I think it's, uh, I love how it, it builds. It kind of starts with the horror beat. Everybody knows, everybody's heard it. There's so many people that's heard this. And uh, the horror beat that builds into the, the madcap laugh. And then you, you build into the woman screaming, which, hey, Lou, I hope you can do that, man. I bet you could scream just like that woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to hold off tonight. I bet you can. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's like it's like an overture you hear all the sounds that you're gonna hear you hear uh you know it's like one thing i think of these first songs as one song but as far as this goes i guess this is the worst song on the record for me (laughs) (laughs) there you go david so only pink floyd could take a heartbeat and turn it into a musical instrument and make it make sense the way this album opens and ends is just, it's genius. Um, and I love how, like, the heartbeat just signifies life going on. And it's going on whether you want it to be there or not. It's just going to keep happening. And um, it's just the mundaneness of life, if that's even a word, the mundane day-to-day life that people live. And uh, what they did was they took recording instruments and they entered just stuck them in the faces of strangers, of crew. I believe, if I remember correctly, Sam may know that Paul McCartney may have been, had one of these recorders or somebody of that, of that stature. Uh, they interviewed and wound up not doing it, but it was Paul McCartney, Paul and Linda, but they didn't use it because it sounded, they said it sounded contrived. It didn't okay. sound candid enough. Yeah. So I, thinking. I think the guy, this guy may be a doorman that was around there. And he just lays this audio gold on them. You know, I've been mad for years or whatever. But mm-hmm. I just think the way this starts and the way it goes into Breathe, and it's just one long song. To me, this is the concept album of all concept albums. And the way it started is absolute genius. And you're going to hear me, if you take a drink every time I say genius in the next hour, you're, you're going to be hammered. <laughs> but I think it fits perfectly. I think it accomplishes what it's supposed to do. And the more you get into this album, the more important this track is. All right. Tony. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So like, like you said, this is, a, this is indeed a concept album and one against a standard against uh, what many have come behind and, and tried to uh, measure up against the bar setting extremely high. Floyd did it. As far as this song though, I don't, I think it, like, yeah, it does what it's supposed to do. I get how it, you know, it begins with with uh, frequency, and um, I've stolen a lot from the Floyd and my own music. And I'm not I'm not trying to put my hooks in here, but it didn't leave an impression on upon me. It, it, it never did. Um, but it's it's just necessary, I guess. Lou. 
that heartbeat. I like to put this on like you, David. I'd like to put this on to test amps and speakers and and players. It's it's a great recording, so I always used it as a reference uh testing good audio equipment. It was one of the first CDs I had in my player and it was always the first CD to put on whenever I got something new in my stereo rack. This starts with a birth, the heartbeat, the mother's heartbeat, and then faint voices in the background and a wailing scream as everything disjointed and tense releases and becomes clearer and in focus as the sound emerges and so does the listener from his cocoon, his womb into the outside world, taking its first breath. Breathe. A slowly fading in heartbeat and a sound collage of voices and sound effects that will show up later on the record. This used to be combined with the next song as one track. We've kind of referenced that, but for some reason, the powers that be separated it around 2010 or so. Uh, Sure, Nick Mason, take a gift solo writing credit, but look, this is super low-hanging fruit. But come on, it's a minute, four seconds, and it's Aaron Stinky Stinker. I don't know what else to say. A backwards piano chord takes us to the next track. And that next track is Breathe in the Air, written by Roger Waters, Richard Wright, and David Gilmore. David, start us off. This is peak. This is peak. Peak Floyd. Sorry, that's a, a tongue twister there. <laughs> you talking about like this huge atmospheric sound that when people think about Pink Floyd, that's kind of what they created. Some people like to term it space rock. I I think that's kind of silly, but there are so many layers to this, and the way everything is recorded and sits in its perfect space, it's amazing. This is recorded in 1972. It could have been recorded yesterday. And the, the audio on it is great, but some of the best lyrics in the Floyd catalog, just basically saying, you've got to live your life how you want to. And if you don't, your life's going to pass you by and you're going to look up and, and it's over with. Don't be afraid to care. Leave, but don't leave me. Look around, choose your own ground. Long you live and how you fly, smiles you'll give and tears you cry. That's life, right? Everybody has their good moments, bad moments. Everybody sees other people in positive light, negative light, and live your life. And don't let other people tell you what to do, because if you don't, you're going to be in run, rabbit, run, dig that hole, forget the sun. Your life's going to be over with, and you're going to secluded yourself from everyone. So this is almost like a plea to people to don't give in to the constraints of society and don't get plugged in in such a way that you can't see outside your wall. That's my interpretation of it. But just as... The lyrics and the playing on this, and, and David Gilmore, could, he could sing an obituary to you, and you would just be like, this is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. He, he's possibly my favorite vocalist, and, and he is my favorite guitar player. Tony? <clears throat> Lyrically, this one is profound. Run, rabbit, run, dig that hole, forget this. Yeah, 
when at last the work is done, don't look down. It's time to dig another one. You know, you can apply those lyrics to your own fucking life. You've just got to keep going. Um, I love Floyd's, you know, they, they said, again, they set another standard for actual segues, what a true segue is. We, we talked about on the failure podcast, uh, you know, how, what a counterfeit segue was, you know, Floyd delivered every, every song beautifully segues into the next, into the next. It's, it's all, it's one long song. Yeah. I, I'm in, I'm in at this point. Lou. Survived by three daughters and a son. Sorry, that's him singing an obituary. (laughs) 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 Proceeded. This song is is uh, it's a release of all the tension that the last song built, and it floats you in this warm bath of sound. Gilmore's volume swells, mimic Rick Wright's minor blues chords underneath, and Mason and Waters give the slow blues number a soft bounce that kind of carries you downstream. Gilmore's dreamy voice lulls you into a sense of comfort and warm trust as the song's lyrics give the opposite with warning and foreboding. It warns you to live in the moment, breathe in the air, don't be afraid to care. It's it's a recurring theme on and throughout the album, and I absolutely love this tune. Sam. Man, the the my favorite thing about this song is how the it's dramatic. The beginning of the song, the song before, builds and builds in tension and then drops and then immediately it picks back up and you're rushed into this song and then it does it again after the first verse. It goes, and then like Rick Wright and David Gilmore, they all got it down. They just thrust into that damn run, rabbit run, and fucking beautiful, man. That's why you can't, I can't listen to just a Pink Floyd album, especially from the 70s, without, I can't listen to a single song. If I'm going to listen to the record, I will listen to every damn one, no matter how insignificant it is. But this is when they found themselves, man. They like, okay, now I'm Michael Jordan. And uh, they're going to manipulate our minds for the next few minutes, you know. A half hour. <laughs> it's gonna be a great. It's gonna feel good, man. I love this song. I remember first hearing this and nearly being put to sleep. <laughs> it was an oral narcotic for me on a bed of gently flowing David Gilmore guitars, hypnotic Richard Wright keyboards, and easy breezy vocals, also by Gilmore. Breathe, man. Breathe in the air. Take your first breath of life. Lots of shit gonna happen for you, and to you, but that's coming later. This track flows into the following track, and that following track is On the Run, written by David Gilmore and Roger Waters. Yeah, I've ripped directly from this. I've learned so much about a Richard Wright's style of 
sound synthesis since I got into it a couple of years back. And this and, and the Baba O'Reilly style, um, you know, all that, all that synth shit. It's not what you think. It's It introduced me to an entirely different uh, way of approaching music. And I've learned that, you know, the Richard Wrights of the, of the world, you know, they, they're, they're their own creation. They're a breed apart. And this is where Rick, Rick Wright stands out. You know, props to him for this. Lou, this is a dark tune. Rushing and running to catch a plane that crashes and ends your life. This is required listening for any decent set of headphones with 360 degrees of sensory separ- separation. Good God, this is cool. Live for today. You may be gone tomorrow. I'm starting to see a concept here. Super listener, Sam. You know, they, they, they called it the uh, the travel sequence because uh, they were, you know, they were touring all the damn time, man. They, they had was working on this album like two albums ago. They were touring all the stuff. And so they were like, at wit's end, so they were like, I guess, and then, then they started playing with this like these synths and all these things that they had at Abbey Road Studios. And there's other things on this, on this record that we played around with too, like moves. And this song is like, you know, like Bob O'Reilly, like Tony said, he's like, this isn't, it's not new, but they, they did it a little different. And uh, I will always listen to this all the way through because it's part of this record. And I don't, maybe it's because it's nostalgic and I remember it from when I was very, very young. And, but uh, I do not skip this song. Even though I don't, you normally don't like uh, this type of song on a record, and it builds tension, man. It makes you feel anxious because you hear the fucking train and fucking plane and fucking running, you're trying to get there, and you're asking fucking questions, just like. And it, also, uh, I think Frank Zappa would have been a good question to ask, and he would say, "The white zone, it's reloading and unloading." <laughs> Captain Over, pick up the white phone. <laughs> David. All right. So not to name drop here, but it comes into play. Um, Johnny Colt from the Black Crow, I've become really good friends. And we were talking on the phone yesterday about what happens when you go into a studio with no preconceived notions. You don't know what anything's going to sound like. And everybody starts just doing what they want to do and what can come out of it and being unconventional. That's what happened here. They got a new toy, and I believe on that Live at Pompeii video, you can see them playing around with this in in the studio and working on it. But we get the first of three instrumentals here, and these three instrumentals are so important to this album. Like like Sam said, this builds tension, and it signifies you're just constantly on the go, constantly on the go. It's it's kind of the same thing. Time's not going to stop for you, man. It's just going to keep going. Everybody is on this like kind of rat race and nobody can stop and sit down and smell the roses. And they put the airline stuff in there because I was reading an interview. Rick Wright said a lot of times they had a great fear of flying and that they were going to die flying. Like Sam said, they're always on tour. And so I just put myself in the mindset if in 1973, if I'm like 15 years old and I'm, I'm laying in my bedroom and I put the headphones on and hear this, like my eyes are going to pop out of my head. Are you kidding me? Um, and this is the kind of experimentation that, that they really brought to the foreground. Now, some people may disagree with this. I've read it several places. 
they were recording Piper at the Gates of Dawn the same time the Beatles were recording Sgt. Pepper's right down the hall. There's no way they didn't go down there and listen to some of that and incorporate some of that into Sgt. Pepper's. And so this is almost them doing something like that again, coming up with something that's completely original, far out, not even any, any you know, lyrics to it, and it's powerful. And like, like Sam said, I, I cannot think of the last time I go, I'm going to listen to Pink Floyd and pick a song. It's it's metal through the wall. It's all the way through or nothing at all. I didn't mean for that to to rhyme like that, <laughs> but it's brilliant. They don't even have to say anything, and it builds tension and it adds to the the story. So, another just amazing song on an amazing album. Eight notes put into a synthi AKS sequencer and sped up, done by Roger Waters, and from there we get all sorts of window dressing. From Wright's Hammond organ run through a Leslie speaker to more synthesizers from Waters and all sorts of tape effects, some supposedly done by Mason, the drummer. This track makes incredible use of panning, and we're just getting started, folks. You guys have intimated this. This is without question the ultimate headphones album and needs to be experienced that way. I read that it's about traveling, especially by flight. You guys have confirmed this. Okay, sure. This track flows into the next track. And that track is Time, written by Nick Mason, Roger Waters, Richard Wright, and David Gilmore. Lou, your thoughts? You can hear the clocks are in layers if you listen closely. There are tiers of them. The absolute sonic clarity of the intro is mind-blowing. This might as well have come from another planet in 1972. And what makes it even more impressive is that it was done in 1972. That first note after the bongos or the – actually, you know what, what that is? Is It's a muted bass. Boop, boop, boop. Anyway, the first note after that reminds me of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine soundtrack, The Sea of Holes. There's a note in there that I can pick out that reminds me that this was recorded at Abbey Road Studio and probably had some common hands pushing buttons and moving mics. You're right. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. You're right creativity, musicianship, and recording quality and ingenuity are all the real stars here. Oh, and that's solo. Holy shit balls. It's a perfect trifecta of blues tone, groove, and feel. Gilmore's just a master at what not to play. The space between what he lays down is just brilliant as the notes that he does choose to, to ring out every last drop of regret and so out of, I mean, he's just the absolute master of his craft. The lyrics are not exactly subtle. <laughs> talking about old age and death. Time is short. You better know when to run. Shit or get off the pot. Don't miss the starting gun. 
death comes quicker than you think. And before you know it, you'll be an old man looking back at your life. Wow, this one hits hard. I've been listening to it for, for over 50 years, and it means something different in every stage of my life. I just, damn. Damn. Sam. Damn, Lou, that was beautiful, man. Yeah, I, I fucking, I'm, yeah. Yes, what everything, everything that Lou said. But also, man, fucking Nick Mason at the beginning, that, that fucking boom, 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 shit it's still it hits hard but everything's clean man you're not forcing anything on anybody it's just it you flows into that that punch it flows into the punch of taking away punch. and then like lou said it's one of the best solo that dave gilmore has he's my favorite guitarist so my favorite guitarist i like sat in my room through high school trying to play these songs and that's how I learned how to play guitar, man. So these are so familiar to me. I, I, I know there, there's no ear burn. Uh, they're soothing, man. Especially when, <laughs> when uh, David Gilmore goes, down, 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 goes into that next register, right? You can sing the solo. Come on, Lou. <laughs> I can't do it. You could probably hit it, but you know what I'm talking about. We'll see. You can do that with a solo. Then it's uh, transcendent. Man. That's all right. David, rinse, lather, repeat. Brilliant. The idea to come up with the alarm clocks going off. It is so jarring. If you coming coming out of out of the previous song, for instance, I was listening to it uh, this this afternoon. I'd, I'd gotten through riding and I was taking a shower and I had my speakers on in my bathroom, and my cat was in there when the alarm clocks went off. She's freaked, uh, you know. She, it freaked her out, but it's so jarring when it comes on. But then you got that. I think it's two bass strings being palm muted that um, Roger Waters is playing. And I've seen him live in concert three times and he, he's up there doing it, you know, just like he is on the album. But the Roto Tom's coming in. I mean, again, 1973. And I hear this. Holy cow. What, what instrument is this? I mean, I've never heard anything like this. And this is my second favorite David guitar solo. The greatest guitar solo of all time is Comfortably Numb on Pink Floyd Pulse in 1994. It's not close. It's one of the best pieces of music I've ever heard in my life. But this guitar solo on this is so effective. There's so much feel. It's like Charlie Starr uh, told me about Mark Ford. He doesn't play many notes, but the ones he does, they matter. And that is that is no more of an um, example than this. But I just got it. The, the lyrics at the end, it's just beautiful. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. I thought I'd have more to say. Home, home again. I like to be where I can. When I come home cold and tired, it's good to warm my bones beside the fire. Far away across the field, the tolling of the iron bell calls the faithful to their knees to hear the softly spoken magic spell. Get up the next day and do the same thing over and over again because that's what everybody is doing. But, uh, man, this is, like I said, this is pink. Peak Pink Floyd. I'm never going to get that out correctly on this show, but uh, anyway, it's a recurring theme. But that guitar solo, the feel on that, it's textbook. You know, Steve Vai can never play that guitar solo and give you that feeling. 
Joe Satriani couldn't. And they'd tell you that. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. Tell you. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, a lot of the people I've talked to that, that are guitar players, you know, that have recorded will tell you sometimes that that's just one take. And I got in there and, 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 and nailed it. And I can never play it. Mark Ford told me that about Sometimes Salvation solo in Southern Harmony. He said, I was so pissed off that I could not get the solo right. And the producer is just laying on me and it's midnight. And he said, I just took the headphones off and went in there and I laid it down and walked out and I've never played it that way twice. And I'll never uh, the same way again. And so you just got to wonder with some of these solos, it's just, just one take and Gilmore's like, I can't top that. You know, that was a, a snapshot, a moment in time. Tony. Our friend, Sam, uh, Annie Hardy, a musician, friend of ours, I was describing that to her as a um, you know, fellow musician and capturing the spirit of the moment. Luckily, in a good take, yeah, it was recording. And she said, it's called demoitis. And it's just, like, you, you can never redo it. Thank God it was captured and encapsulated on, on tape or, or whatever media. I get that. I get that. As far as the song goes, you guys have built up to my uh, it's my superpower on this song. I, it, I, the Roto Toms, nobody seemed to notice that Nick Mason had them tuned to the notes perfectly. Every note was the, the, the percussion, the heads were tuned uh, precisely to the notes. It all matches perfectly. If you listen to it, give it a fresh listen, and, and you'll notice, man. Nick Mason, you know, he had a he had more of an ear as a percussionist, and that's why he gets second billing as drummer slash percussionist, I guess. But he stands out on this track to me. You stole my superpower there, man, about the lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're they're amazing. Like the, the hanging on and quiet desperation is the English way. You think mm-hmm. about how proud they are. Yes, culture. and yes. they're very stoic. You never know are they happy or they upset. Mm-hmm. And in the face of of whatever's going on, it's the same. And uh, what's going on behind the curtain, nobody will ever know. Mm-hmm. Here, the tolling of the iron bell draws the faithful to their knees to hear the softly spoken magic spell. You know, it, to me, that sounds like uh, organized religion or cultish uh, behavior or anything, I guess. That or just, or just living in the constraints of a normal society. You're supposed to get up, go to work, come home, have a wife, two kids, rinse out the repeat. But that magic spell may be what's driving you, you know. It, it, it might be just that, that, that that's keeping you going, a little bit of magic. I don't know. I don't know, but um, you were young and life is long. I get that. Yeah. Remember that? Remember when there was yeah, so much time <laughs> and it wasn't a factor and, and, it, and it, you know, it didn't, it, it just, it didn't stop you from doing anything. And then one day you find 10 years have gone behind you. No one told you to run to run. Yeah. I get that too. I get that too. But it hit 50 guys, you know, so it's, uh, time it's precious good song though all right david i got a similar thing to what you were talking about before i remember moments of listening to this on cd with my headphones on nodding off 
towards the end of On the Run, and then having the living shit scared out of me when the <laughs> clock started ringing and chiming when it started. Thanks a lot, Alan Parsons. <laughs> then it's a lengthy intro with Mason on the Roto Toms and water plucking his bass strings to sound like a timepiece ticking. It's uh, it's amazing, it really is. Then we get a mid-tempo boiler with a nice bass line right on the Wurlitzer electric piano on the verses with Gilmore shouting out the vocals and right on the Farfisa organ and taking the lead vocals on the bridges. And I didn't even know that when I was for the longest time. I didn't even detect it. it was, they sound similar. In a, to, they did it. They did originally to me. I, I, now I know. Now, now I hear the difference in the two voices. But originally, I just thought it was all Gilmore. And then Gilmore delivers a guitar solo that will knock your socks off. Has any guitarist ever done so much with so little notes? The way this guy plays proves that you don't have to have flashy chops to kick ass on the instrument. There are also some nice ooh backing vocals. Hey, come on, let's give them some love. No one's done that yet. Doris Troy, Leslie Duncan, Liza Strike, and Barry St. John. They're all over this record, and they're phenomenal. Lyrically, we're akin to something of a midlife crisis. When you're young, you feel like you got all the time in the world. You can waste a day away. But when you get older, the time seems shorter and you can't find the time to do what you planned. One of you guys said, and I wish I could. I think it was you, Lou. Wherever stage you're at in life, this song can connect to you in completely different ways. This song is universal. Yeah, I heard this a fuck ton on the radio. It's one of those Floyd songs you can't escape from, but it's. An amazing track. I've never gotten ear burn on this either. The song then switches to a reprise of the Breathe music with lyrics about coming home, and then we segue to the next track. And that next track is The Great Gig in the Sky, written by Richard Wright and Claire Torrey. Sam, you like this one? This song was playing when my dad threw his head back, his eyes closed with a big smile on his face, and he was like, uh, this is great. And I, 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 I learned at a very early age that music could move you. I saw it. I saw it move him, and, and it moved me too. I was like, okay, this is significant. It's like part of me, man. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in four or five. I don't know. That album came out in 73, right? And I was born in 74. My dad's a big-ass Pink Floyd fan, so I know <laughs> that I heard this song in the womb. Yeah, man, this song is fucking powerful. It's uh, Claire Torrey he was recruited and then wrote half of the song when she got in there. Every, you know, the story is well-known. What she did when she was in there is fucking profound, man. She, there's not a lyric, there's not a word spoken, man. It's just a voice. And she, she used her voice like a, an instrument and then went in there and did that. And in interviews, she said that she walked in there and these guys were like, didn't say anything to her. And she was like, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then 
Turns out it was on the record and, you know, later sued and got half the royalties. So I think she probably should have got um, She won off it, man. And then they were like, holy shit, this is incredible. We're going to keep it. And then it makes my father cry. That's crazy. <laughs> it makes me cry sometimes. I'm choked up sometimes, man. I'm in a certain mood and I hear it loud. I love that. Those fucking chords that uh, Richard Wright plays, tasty as fuck, dude. I mean, they're just inversions of the other chord, and he just kind of, you know, sit down in this chord, and then rises up in this chord, and then sit down in this chord, and then rise up, and then rise up in the next chord. But she follows it the whole way. Uh, this is fucking brilliant music, man. I think it should be in uh, revered. Just fucking fantastic. I love this, David. So there are certain albums that the songs themselves have to be heard with the accompanying album. Uh, a great example of this is um, "Exile on Main Street." It's one of my favorite albums of all time. But songs like "Sweet Angel" they don't work on their own, in my opinion. They're part of the flow of the album and what makes the album special. And I think that's what this is. If you just went and heard this on the radio, I mean, it, it it's good, but it wouldn't have the same effect that it does on this album. And so here you have them coming up with this song that was originally called, I think, like the Mortality Sequence or the Religion Song. I think it went through those two names. And they have the idea to um, get some NASA space recordings, transmissions between astronauts, and put on top of them. Like, nah, that doesn't work. And they just bring this lady in. All she does is just kind of, kind of wail over it, and she doesn't even sing, you know, any words. And the only thing I can find that remotely comes close to this, like with power and effect from a female voice on something like this, is the end of "Give Me Shelter." But um, even that can't touch this there's there's just no there's no words and she plays it and it just goes like we like tony said it's just one big piece of music and it's just part of the suite of of this music and it just transitions you from one thing to the other and uh, in the confines of this album it's it it fits perfectly but i think if you were like oh i'm gonna listen to ain't talking about love by van halen and the next song is great gig in the sky and then you go from that to like knocking on heaven's door it doesn't work and you're going to be like what is this but put this on this album it makes complete sense tony sam i'll remind you uh, i was there for that a lot of these floyd experiences you're talking about if it weren't for your dad I would have never discovered, uh, and I mean, oh, oh, no, all I, props, <laughs> <laughs> all props to your dad. I love your dad for that. Yeah. Always will. Uh, introduced us to um, the song with sorrow on um, momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, um, I remember that. Crank that shit. <laughs> he said, "You'll never hear a better band than this, Tony," and he was right. Concerning this song. Um, Yes, it's, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's kind of orgasmic. It's enrapturing. It's ecstatic, euphoric. It has a frenetic energy to it. She's so, she puts so much soul into that. It's not the first time Floyd did it, though. Um, in the Adam Hart Mother Suite, and um, I guess about 10 minutes in, you hear a, a female vocalist do something very similar. 
Um, I love this song. I've always loved this song. It's uh, it's necessary on this album, and God damn, if you're not into it at this point, you will be. Lou. Oh, 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 God. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh, oh. Oh God! Oh, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> the great gig in the sky is is death. All right, it, the wailing and dying in, in agony and fear until they eventually they accept it and they appreciate the time that they have left. If you want to stay with the concept, but I'll I'll have what she's having. <laughs> okay. This is where all the Floyd fans can break out their pitchforks and torches and come after me. I do not like this song. I have never liked this song. It annoys the fuck out of me. It makes me cringe. You guys hear Meg Ryan having an orgasm? This is all I hear in my brain. Fucking shoot me. It sounds like that poor woman is being stretched out on a torture rack. <laughs> now, that said, you go, Claire Tory. Sue those fuckers and get your cheddar. You deserve it. <laughs> I know that some people are going to listen to this and hate the podcast or give it a terrible rating. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> sorry, David. <laughs> but if Speak to Me and Breathe had remained one track, this would easily have been my stinky stinker. <laughs> so let's flip the imaginary record over. And drop the imaginary needle on Money, written by Roger Waters. David, what do you think? This is probably Waters' most, um, I guess, appreciated bass lines that he plays. Uh, I'm, I'm not a musician, but it's not a smooth bass line. It's a very kind of thunderous, plotting maybe, uh, bass line, which really drives the song. Now, I think this is the anomaly on the album. From a sonic perspective, I don't think it really fits. It, it does not have the floating type atmospheric stuff that um the other songs do i'll be honest with you it's the weak point on the album for me it's not because it's the the most popular one because I, I love all their other popular stuff there's just something about it that i never have wrapped my head around as to why people like it so much like i said it, it's you know his bass playing's great on it and the sound effects with the coins and i get where it fits in the story as far as money makes the world go around and, and he's always had this complicated relationship with capitalism and uh I, I can't stand it when people say they're against capitalism after they're only against it once they've made their 20 million 
you know, I'd be against it too at that point. I've, I've got my money. And uh, he got called out one time. I think it was an interview on CNN, and he was talking about how, you know, corporate greed and, and things like that are just ruining our world. And she goes, well, you drove up here in a $100,000 Mercedes, and you're wearing about a $200 polo shirt. And he said, I get it. I'm a walking hypocrite. And uh, that was a, a little bit of self-awareness on his part. But it's something that he sings about, is going to sing about the rest of his career. And uh, I forget the name of the song, but it's one of the worst lyrics I've ever heard. I, he played it live before it was recorded when I saw him. It's got the lyrics, they've got a McDonald's in Tibet. Um, I forget the name of the song. And it's just, it's cringeworthy. But this is low-hanging fruit for him to sing about this. And, and obviously, the pursuit of money creates all kinds of problems in our world. Uh, but that's just the reality of it. And that pursuit and the lack of success does create a lot of uh, mental stress on people. But like I said, I don't dislike it because it's the the most popular song. Uh, and I don't dislike it. I just haven't wrapped my head around why people like it so much. But and, and just I don't know. I'd be interested to hear you guys that are musicians like sonically. It just doesn't fit with the rest of the album, in my opinion. Tony. Dun, 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 dun. Aaron, what time signature is that? Seven four. Okay. Anytime there's an odd time signature and is transitioned to something that can be grooved to, groove worthy, it's going to get people's attention just because it's odd. And it, and it piques people's ears. It's got a groove to it. Yes, you're right. You're right, man. It doesn't flow, but it, but it does in a way. Uh, by the time he starts rant, Roger Waters starts his rants, there is a flow. And um, I'm, yeah, I, I get it. I've always gotten this track. No ear burn for some reason on this one. I don't know why. I don't know why. It, indeed, it, it's the it's the first release off the album. It had to have been, you said, the most popular and approachable subjects. Subject, you know, lyrics. Lyrics for Floyd. Floyd lyrics tend to be um, kind that you have to ponder. I agree with you, low-hanging fruit, but again, a, a good tune. Seven, four time, that's catchy. I get it. Lou? Well, this is the first song that I knew was Pink Floyd. I loved the money noises as a toddler at the, at the beginning of, of the song. I loved the brang. Later on in high school, I'd write the lyrics on a book cover and uh, I'd get in trouble because my mom thought I was selling pot. And uh, well, I was, but not because I wrote the lyrics to money, uh, <laughs> money. It's a hit. Don't give me that good, good bullshit on my binder. That said, the sax solo is legendary. The guitar solo dwarfs even that legend. It's so simple yet. So brilliant. There's no fat. There's not one excess note. No fat at all. No noodling, no indecisiveness, just a perfect blues solo with attitude. Again, his tone is perfection. This is one of the, I think, one of the top rock solos in the genre. Up there with Stairway and Purple Haze. There, I've said it. Let it marinate. <laughs> Sam? I agree with Lou. I agree with Tony. I agree with all of you, like like you know, I, I have there's no ear burn. Even though I've heard this song maybe more than any other song. I'm thinking that I might have heard this song more than any other song I've ever heard. 
Because my dad played so many fucking Pink Floyd records when I was a kid. And this was always in the rotation. The sound design shit from Radio Shack was blast, and it sounded great. So I kind of learned how to play guitar from this motherfucker. And David Gilmore is my favorite guitar player of all time. But, but all of it's really simple, but just how he like, just plays the note, man. It's a descending note. It's on a scale. It's really easy to play, but the way he does it, when you do it like that, it's kind of difficult to play it. But the moment I quit trying to play like David Gilmore, I became a better guitar player. You know what I mean? He's my most influenced dad. This is one of the songs that influenced me on how I play solos. I try to let them breathe. I try to remember. Let them breathe. Just like David, if, I, if I was David Gilmore, let that guitar solo breathe. You let this part of the music have space so that you can think about what you heard. I've, it's made me a better guitar player. You know? I'm, and that's a, I don't know. That's what I got from this song. <laughs> <laughs> David, I'll try to do the best I can to tell you why this tune is so popular and why people like it. I agree with you on the one hand that it is kind of the sonic outlier of the album, but this is the one track you can pull off of the album, put it on the radio, and it's it makes sense as a single. This this tra- you know, like we were saying, everything kind of flows together, and it's a, this one you can actually remove from the album and put it on out out there, and it makes sense. But is it really a sonic outlier? It's got the thing you've got the intro with the with the money, the cash registers and stuff like that, very much like the beginning of time. It's got the Richard Wright playing his Wurlitzer through a wah-wah pedal. That's weird-sounding shit. That's cool. That iconic bass line, I mean, we've all mentioned that. I mean, you, you, as soon as you hear that, you're drawn into that. Roger Waters keeps you focused on this entire track, too. Even when it speeds up, you're following that bass line. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You're following him the whole time. He'll keep you on track no matter where this thing goes. Dick Perry and honking tenor saxophone. Again, sonically, it grabs your ear, and it's a, it's an amazing piece. And then Gilmore playing three individual guitar solos that bleed into each other very, very nicely. To me, it's the equal of the time solo. It's, it's just brilliant, brilliant playing. And the lyrics are basically all about money, how we need it, how we want it, and are kind of slaves to it. The rich could buy extravagant things with it. And sure, it's the root of all evil, but keep your hands off my stack. Fuck you. That's the biggest takeaway from the lyrics here. It's not really about money. It's about greed. It's about avarice and how that is very much a part of human nature, which ties in thematically to the rest of the album. The album is about human nature, how we go through life and studies how people react and feel about certain things. So that's what this is. To me, it's about greed. This is one of the great classic Floyd tunes. Everybody knows it. It's been played to death on classic rock radio. And it was the first single that reached number 13 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. We get a hard segue to the following track. And that following track is Us and Them, written by Roger Waters and Richard Wright.
Let's hit it. Well, I mean, I already mentioned this was the first Floyd Hook that I ever heard him on. I must have been nine or ten. And back then, you know, growing up as Gen Xers, we had to, I, I mean, we found escape in in music and what was being piped in through the uh, through the radio, what, what was being passed down to us. At the time on FM, there you know, on the Saturday nights, there was a show called Flashback. I don't know if you remember it. And they would always uh, play deep cuts. That right there initiated my hunger for the deeper cuts because that, that's where the jewels were found. And Us and Them, to me, is one of those. I, I would say it's, it's, a, it's probably the deepest cut on this album, even though it's popular now. I think I think it became popular as by proxy of the popularity of the album itself. Uh, otherwise, I think it would it would it would have remained kind of hidden. Uh, just the same, it the flow us us, us and then the poetry and the the flow again of the song is as always. This is this is a winner for me. Lou. This drifts out of money and lets you float down the stream of saxophone, almost soft jazz. The song comes at you in waves, first softly, then with more force, then again softly, then another wave of force. This also drifts out of the last song's concept as money causes hatred and anger. And we as people feel against others in, in many cases as a result of greed. The chorus behind Gilmore and Wright's earnest voice is majestic as it drifts right into the next song. The next song is almost like the next section of this song, actually, which is like us and them. Great tune. Sam. I love this one. Though. I love how it slams into the chorus. It has everybody like that full volume, the, the backup singing, they're all singing a, a certain chord. And, uh, that's beautiful. And then it drops back out into black, 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 and blue. It's beautiful to me. And I always love that. It's, this song has like a, a dynamics, man. You can like, there's like it's a beginning and middle and an end. Also, there's, which within those three things, there is also dynamics. So it's a brilliant song. Being about, I think it's probably about war, tribalism. It's about me, it's about you. And it's still a problem. It's about us and them. It's just us, because we're all fucking convinced. God damn it. That's all. David, this is the gem of this album. It's my favorite song on it. If you could somehow put into music what floating feels like, this is how you would do it. This song has a hypnotizing quality to it unlike almost any song i've ever heard and for the longest time i didn't even care to know what the lyrics were i love just the vocals the music the playing everything this is a perfectly recorded song everything is where it's supposed to be in that space and then you've got those layered vocals during the course which obviously at some point def leopard would take that and put it on steroids but um Rick Wright is the MVP of this album, in my opinion. He does not get enough credit. And here you have him uh, yes. on vocals. 
just absolutely slaying away on it in, in only a way that he could. And Sam said it was about war and stuff like that. And I, I, I got a quote here from, it's from, it's from uh, I think it's from Roger Waters. The first verse is about going to war, how on the front line we don't get much, I'm just quoting him, how we don't get much t- chance to communicate with one another because someone else has already decided that we shouldn't. The second verse is about civil liberties, racism, and color prejudice. And the last verse is about passing a tramp in the street and not helping. Uh, so I don't know if some of that's tongue in cheek or not, but even if you, even if this was a song where you never understood the lyrics, you get the feeling of the song and it makes you feel good, even though the lyrics are kind of dire. And I cannot, I can never not listen to this song. And live, it was such a juggernaut on those live albums, those two precious live albums that we got, Pulse and uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder really highlighted Rick Wright and the fact that he was kicked out of the band after the wall is just is insanity. Um, we're, gonna mean, fucking, he, we're gonna rip on Roger Waters well well Can you know when he when he died I think Roger Waters tried to rewrite history a little bit and yeah, talk about did. what a valuable you know asset he was to Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd was the perfect stew gumbo jambalaya like we talked we have jambalaya down here Everything had to be where it was in order for that to, quote unquote, taste right. You take one ingredient out and it doesn't sound the same and never more so than on this album. And he is the MVP. And if you go back and look look at the, the parts that he sings, the playing that he does, I mean, the next song is Rick Wright. You know, uh, Great Gig in the Sky is Rick Wright. Some of the most transcendent moments that we've talked about came from Rick Wright. And to me, this is his best product that he ever put on a, on an album. Can I add something to that? Rick Wright was the virtuoso prodigy of the band. If you go back and listen to their first, not, not well, second single, and you see Emily play when it segues between the first and second chorus, listen to that. Listen to that. Okay. Well, wasn't he jazz trained as well? I believe he was, yeah. But I'm with you. Shout out to the ghost of Rick Wright. Rest in peace. The verses are built on a bedding of Wright's Hammond organ lines with Dick Perry's floating sax, Gilmore playing clean jazz chords and arpeggios while his voice is echoed and dreamy, and the thing flows like water down a stream. It sounds churchy. The bridges are big and bombastic. The organ swells and the backing vocals come in big and loud. Perry plays out the jazz sax solo that begins easy breezy and gains honking intensity as the music swells. Fuck war, fuck tribalism, fuck prejudice, and fuck cruelty. Now, those are all nice sentiments, but that's a tough call to make for the human race, though. We seem to love all that shit, don't we, Roger? It might be bad enough to make a guy depressed. These lyrics really work on many levels. I heard this a lot on the radio, too, and apparently it was the second single that didn't chart. I I don't know. We get another hard segue to the next track, and that next track is Any Color You Like, written by David Gilmour, Nick Mason, and Richard Wright.
Lou, let's have it. I've always loved this whole section with Rick lay in the landscape right from the transition. And here's another chance for Gilmore to shine as he attains rock god level with a choppy, bluesy, stereophonic duel between Rick and Dave. It's cool, and it happens in each earphone can. Great jam by the band that segues beautifully into the next track. <laughs> Sam. Man, I've always loved this since I was a little kid. Actually, uh, me and Tony were in a band called Any Color You Like <laughs> because of the song in high school. And uh, we played shit. And then, you know, I kept that name and I played in another band. Tony was in Florida at that time. But then had another uh, uh, version of that band called Any Color You Like. We did good, man. We made a little bit of money. We broke even at least. And it was fun, man. So this is like this is like really fun little jam thing. And they this is just a jam session that they was a good segue into the next song. Everybody's right about this. However, that that's all fucking cool as fuck, and you cannot deny that shit, man. And it's, I mean, it might be your stinky stinker, but I'm telling you that it's better than other stinky stinkers. <laughs> I love it, man. I never skip it. I named I name my band uh, after that, and I kept it for like 25 years. So I'm good with it. <laughs> David this is my favorite piece of instrumental music ever this song has so much funk in it I mean this song is funky the bass lines on it it's as if you're flying in space and then when it kicks in is when you hit leave the galaxy and you're going to the unknown and you get all these like little earworms that are just kind of circulating around you like like this real spacey stuff and um, it's just like Great Gig in the Sky you got to have it in the part of the out al- in this part of the album for you to understand it. Like I said, it's my favorite instrumental piece of music and it just evokes a feeling in me of calm yet excited, if that makes any sense. Uh, and I'm so glad they put it on there and on that. I keep going, referring to that album pulse where they played this, this in its entirety. Once they get to us and them through eclipse, that's the way music's supposed to sound and nobody's going to duplicate that. And live, this is even better than it was on the album. And I, like I said, it's my favorite piece of instrumental music. Tony. Yeah, Any Color You Like was, a, um, was an experience, Sam. You know, you skipped, you skipped a major part of the story. It was time to go live uh, one day, and we were playing live in front of the incoming freshmen at, in high school. And um, Patty Clay, the librarian, Asked Sam, what's the name of your band? And Sam's like, fuck, I don't know. Any color you like. And it stuck. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and everything about that one, that one show was impromptu as hell. We 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 lit it, we lit it up, man. We we, we were pretty good. Anyway, um, the song itself, uh, yeah, necessary. Necessary. It's uh it does get funky, especially with the you know the breakdown the turn down then it all gets so soothing and so 
time to segue. Well, there's that breathe theme again. And only this time it comes in on a tsunami of synths and organs. Like you said, it sounds spacey and trippy. And Gilmore's two guitar lines are played with a univibe effect and pan to each side. This is another one of those headphone songs. The synth solo was created on a long tape loop and repeated over and over. And David Gilmore even does a little bit of scat singing in there that doesn't do that much for the track. Ah, to me, it's just transitional filler. It's nothing more. I can take it or leave it. I, I, you know, this is great gig in the sky. Any color you like. If you took them off the album, I would be fine with it. I would. The penultimate track is Brain Damage, written by Roger Waters. And if your head explodes with the bones too I'll see you on the dark side of the moon The lunatic is in my head <laughs> The lunatic is in my head Sam, what do you think? One of the great memories that I have of this record is like I was, I was put in, um, uh, like a, we were supposed to write a poem, and her name was Hilda Horn. Tony knows her. She is my English teacher. And it's like, we got to write a poem. And so I was from the lunatic is only. <laughs> <laughs> Paper holes and folded pages to the floor, and every day the paperboy brings more. I got an A. Yeah, no fucking idea. However, even though I plagiarized that fucking A, um, I believe that that's fucking brilliant writing. These lyrics, man, are like next next level. That's one of the reasons that, that I got deeper into Pink Floyd. And my dad, like, I, mean, I heard it when I was a kid, yeah, but you, know, you can't understand that kind of shit until you get older. And you're like, what did he say? You know, and then, like, look into it. And then you learn, maybe you learn some things. But yeah, I mean, these lyrics are fucking brilliant. And I love the way David Gilmore plays these damn songs, man. He'll, he'll have a chord, man. It's just some chord and he'll arpeggiate it. He's done it other times, man. On, on this song, he's done it on uh, Hey You. He's done it uh, on a bunch of things. And he'll like uh, play a major chord and he'll, like, it'll be dissident with, uh, but it's so fucking simple, man. It's like, it's like triads, really. Ray Z, damn it. Explain this shit to me. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And it's fucking beautiful, man. And then fucking Richard Wright. He, he brings brings the bass and the I guess he's the comp in this thing. He's able to uh, manipulate the anxiety <laughs> with this damn song, I suppose. And even it's this is building to the next one, which is uh, is I think is transcendent. So okay, I'll I'll end with that. I'm sorry, I went too long. David, so we're kind of building to this last one-two punch. And we got to circle back to the the theme of madness, which is kind of the underlying aspect of this album. Now, 
there's some interesting lines here. When I was in my last year of pharmacy school, I did a rotation at a uh, the state mental hospital and got to see people in all different levels of uh, mental illness and acute mental illness, which is, is nothing to laugh at and it's not funny. But one of the techniques that you would do when, um, especially people that were manic, you had to try to pull them in back to reality and you, they call it redirecting. And so uh, you would do what you could to redirect people uh, that were that were having a tough time and, and try to get them back to, to reality and to focus essentially on something else. So you got the line, keep the loonies on the grass. I think that's kind of what that's talking about is is getting redirecting people that are having mental health issues, redirecting them to focus on something else. But then kind of one of the um, darker lines on the whole album is you raise the blade, you make the change, you rearrange me till I'm sane. Well, that's referring to lobotomies, which were um, a bigger deal back then. And so uh, there's some depth to these lyrics and that's, you know, that's, that's dark. And to think we used to do that to people as barbaric as a way to, uh, as a note, uh, used to, they would treat um, back in the twenties and thirties, people had schizophrenia. They would put them in diabetic comas on purpose. Uh, so, um, you know, science isn't always right on, on some things like this, but, um, I, I just think the way this song builds and then the imagery that was, I, I'm sorry, I keep going back to that Pulse video, the imagery from that, uh, you know, they have like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton, all the world leaders. I mean, he, he hates them all, uh, Gilmore and Waters do, but it, it just builds. And it's like, we've, we've set the tone and here we are, here's the payoff. And we're about to really have it with Eclipse, but this is the, as our friend here would say, the penultimate track. And uh, we're about to get the big payoff. But no, I just think the lyrics are great. See you on the dark side. I mean, is that like one of the most quoted lyrics of all time, even in culture that people don't even know anything about Pink Floyd? So uh, props to whoever wrote that. But um, I know I keep babbling on, but I just love this album. And this one-two punch at the end is just like butter. Tony. Yeah, man. I get it. I get it. I get this track. They're talking about, again, you're talking about insanity. And um, there's plenty of pointers to Sid Barrett in this throughout this album. It's obvious. It's obvious. Um, the first time I heard this, uh, remember, I just remembered this, was on uh, Saturday Night Live. Dennis Miller was the. Um, did the news? Yeah, and he would. Yeah, he would always play a song, an introduction, a, 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 a snippet from something that you never heard, or it, for me, I'd never heard. And I heard that the lunatic is on the cross, and the lunatic is in the hall, um, and then the lunatic is in my head. So it builds. The the like you said, man, it does conjure up dark imagery. Raise the blade, you make the change. Reminds me of Hellraiser 2. We have to see, we have to know. They're doing brain surgery, and it's indeed very barbaric, deep. Lou? Well, Gilmore slowly finger-picks that intro using his Gilmoreism. You know, it's that Gilmore finger-picking, too. He can only do it like him. As Waters goes through his lunatic shtick, 
he tries to separate the idea of the lunatic head with himself uh, and tries to deny that he's a lunatic himself. The chorus of Baptist angels sounds like majestic, but a little crazy as the song builds in intensity, but it projects a feeling of finality as, uh, as in this is the end. And I'll give the rest of my comments on the next track as I consider this, the final two, the same song, and it kind of conveys the same idea. And, you know, so I don't want to kind of blow it for, for eclipse, but you know, so I'm going to end it here. Well, let's go crazy with Roger Waters singing a song inspired by his former bandmate, Sid Barrett, who really did lose his marbles. The verses are guitar arpeggios accompanied with eerie floating guitar notes while the rhythm section plays it really quiet and in the background until the bridges where the Hammond organ rises up. Those fantastic backing vocals come in again. The drums are big with big fills and hey, wackadoodle, we will see you on the dark side of the moon. The synth solo sounds kind of funny. There's almost kind of like a winking humor to this track, especially with the laughing of the road manager, Peter Watts. I mean, there's spoken word shit all over this record, but here it really stands out. This is usually played on the radio back to back with a final track. And that brings us to the final track, Eclipse, written by Roger Waters. All that you touch and all that you see you taste all you feel and all that you love and all that you hate all you distrust all you say and all that you give and all that you deal and all that you buy big borrow or steal how about this last one david what a way to go out. What a way to go out. One of the best closing songs of any album that you will ever hear. We have completely built to this. I love almost the, um, it's just the, the way the verses are delivered. They're just punching you in the face, punching you in the face, punching you in the face. When it gets to the end, but you know, the, but the sun is eclipsed by the moon and they hold it. Sorry, don't have me singing on there. That's awful. People mm-hmm. never come back. But the way they say that, it's almost like a mic drop moment. It's almost like, when mm-hmm. Prince did that solo with the Hall of Fame, he just mm-hmm. lays it down and just throws the guitar and walks off. It's one of my favorite moments in music. And then you end the same way it started. Mm-hmm. Circle of life. And there's there's the heartbeat in the beginning and it's the heartbeat at the end. And, and the insanity was there at the beginning and it's there now. But you've gone on a trip with these people and they're dropping you right off where they started. Uh, just a magical end to such a special album. Uh, the ultimate headphone album, the ultimate concept album from a band that knows concept albums. Everything after this, it's a concept album stole from them, in my opinion. And this is the perfect way to end it. Tony. You're right. Um, those vocals, they, they do come at you like accusatory, derogatory. It's like you're being interrogated by the police. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking. Um, the finality of it all. It, it's all encompassing. Everything. It's all that you eat and everyone you meet and all that you fight and everyone, all that you spite and everyone you fight. It's all a culmination. It's reflected in the stars. 
because the sun is eclipsed by the moon, like you said. It's wonderful poetry. And the way that, like you said, the way it ends, the way it, it is, the way it begins, that's been ripped off multiple times. Among other concept albums, a, a great way to close the album, indeed. Um, yeah, no complaints. No. Yeah. Lou. Well, this is the grand finale. The fat lady singing and you better have done all you could. And the fact that you haven't is what drives you insane. And all the facets of your life, that's what brought you here. There's no dark side of the moon, really. As a matter of fact, it's all dark. There's no one reason that you're insane, but greed, hatred, fear of death, refusal to appreciate the time you had is what drove you insane. There's no one reason. They're all the reasons you're insane. And this is you accepting that. And it's glorious. <laughs> Sam. Man, I used to think about this song. And when you hear the song, I think it was about the, the, the meaningless of life. I mean, it's like, what, what are we doing? There's no point. It's like, we're just fucking animals. We're going to die. But now that I'm older and uh, had some experiences, I think it's about you got to do the best you can while you're here. The best you can, man, every day, because it's going to end. Savor the fucking love that you have for people. I mean, like, appreciate everything so much more because you know that it's going to end. But you did the best you can. You can I, I can go go away with that. It seems like it's dark, but it's not. It's uplifting, man. It's a very positive thing. Just like if you accept that, okay, this is what I'm gonna do, because of all that you eat and everyone you meet, and all that is now, and all that is gone. Everything's coming under the sun is in tune, but the sun is glitched from the moon. But there's still sunlight, motherfucker. It's gonna pass over fucking son and you'll be okay again that's what i think it's about and so i fucking love this system you know what it's gonna be <laughs> and i quote all that you touch and all that you see all that you taste all you feel and all that you love and all that you hate all you distrust all you save and all that you give, and all that you deal, and all that you buy, beg, borrow, or steal, and all you create, and all you destroy, and all that you do, and all that you say, and all that you eat, and everyone you meet, and all that you slight, and everyone you fight, and all that is now, and all that is gone, and all that's to come, and everything under the sun is in tune, but the sun is eclipsed by the moon. Now that the track-by-track track is completed, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to five system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is out there on the grass with a lunatic. Super listener Sam, what are your final thoughts on the dark side of the moon? Man, I want to say uh, thank you for letting me be a part of this podcast. Let me be on here. 
and for playing this record and, and when you did. It's just it's significant, man. It's two ninety nine. And I, I understand the significance of it, man. I want to tell you that I really appreciate it. I mean, I've got some friends that are probably lifelong friends, man. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate it. This is uh, really significant, man. And, uh, and I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. I appreciate all the hard work. I appreciate all the fucking community that you have fucking built. And I'm like, I don't know, probably by accident. <laughs> I'm guessing it's probably by you didn't mean for shit to happen. But it's fucking beautiful, man. And I really appreciate that I was like able to show my, my buddy Tony that hey man, you can do this too. And share my friendship man and uh really uh god damn it i'm glad i sent you the email there me too sam thank you very much sam so so what what yeah what are you rating this thing (laughs) well it's a five and my dad's gonna make it a five my mama's gonna make it a five my daughter's gonna make it a five everybody's (laughs) gonna make it a five my grandkids are gonna make this fucking album a five man It's a transcendental. This record is it's it's uh it it's it's transcendental. I love you guys. David. Uh echo what Sam said. Uh thank you for uh everything that you've done. Um this is a uh a podcast that I look forward to every week. Um the fact you've done three hundred, I mean my gosh. <laughs> That's a lot. And, and to keep up this schedule that you do. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I know how hard it is to edit all this and, and go in and the minutia of it and putting the little songs in and the sound bites. So the fact you made it 300, man, you're, you're a better man than me. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, this, uh, like I said, um, it's going to carry on. It's not going to be as, as good as you did it. And uh, if you're Pink Floyd fan, we're going to have animals as one of our first ones as well. Um, but no, thank you. It's been an honor to, to get to know you some and, and, and listen to you guys. And um, like Sam said, it, it, it kind of becomes like you're, you're listening to your friends do what we've done our whole life. If you're a music nerd, sit around and talk about music. So that's, that's a special thing. It's organic. You can't force it to happen. You know, you're, you're, I know um, Sam and, and, and Lou, they're signed up, going to be on, on stuff in the future, but it's not going to be the same. Uh, as far as this album, seven out of five, 10 out of five, whatever you want to put ab- above 100%, I give it. Like we said, it's not an album. It's a piece of art. Um, and we didn't, even do, we didn't even talk about the album cover, the most iconic album cover of all time and the most simplistic album cover of all time. Yeah. So everything about it is great. It, it like we've said, I've never, I don't think going. I'm going to listen to one song. It's uh, it's drop the needle or put the CD in or hits track number one on Spotify. It's always a full a full thing. And so many bands and so many albums are who they are because this album was made. It, it showed them what true art was, and. It's a band that even made the instrumentals move you and tell part of the story. Now, how hard is that? Uh, I don't know of anybody else that could really do that. So um, it was an honor to be on here for this one. 
uh, talking about one of my favorite bands and, and a top five album for me. It was an honor uh, to get to interact with you and um, and, and all you guys. Uh, you're great. Going to miss it. Going to miss it greatly. But um, you, we'll see you once a year for a Springsteen uh, <laughs> album. And we'll, we'll see you at some point in 24 because we're going to do Born in the USA. So I know that's your favorite and it's one of mine too. But uh, thank you guys for also – uh, for interacting with me on the few episodes I've done. It's been an honor. Thank you, David. Tony. I would be nothing without you guys. I owe you guys everything. I do. I remember the day Sam reconnected with me at work, called me while I was at work out of the blue, and I was on a scissor lift up in the air so I could talk. And we got to talking about you guys. He said, you know, you need to meet these guys. You got to hook up. They do this thing called podcasting. You do podcast, Tony? I'm like, I've heard of like This American Life and and some other. No, I I don't. Now I'm 100 episodes deep. It's crazy. It's it's so accidental. But I, I thank you for like the eight or nine episodes I think I've done with you guys. They're there, I'm I'm such a fan. I I love going back and listening to those. Um, thank again, thank you for having me. Part of this, um, it feels to like the end of an epoch. I'm 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 I'm, I'm just so tickled to be here for this. I really am, guy. I'm gonna miss y'all. But I mean, I'm, I've made you know fast friends with you guys, Lou, Aaron. You guys are awesome. Um, you know, I can hit you guys up any any time. So that that's just amazing. So I'm I'm grateful for all of this. This album, on a scale of one to five, it'd be a four point nine nine because it's not animals to me, but it it's it's amazing. It's perfect, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Lou. This suite of music has been with me my entire life. It's it's meant different things to me at different times. We said this before, but I can tell you I have not tired of it. There's really no ear burn. When I do put it on, it's usually a live rec- recording of it, um, and I usually listen to it all the way through, as like you would any classical symphony piece, or it's an art piece. David pegged it. This is a modern classic and it's something that changes my mood and I appreciate its brilliance every time I hear it. And I give it a wailing and screaming five. Now in regards to the podcast and uh, I'm just, I got to just say that I am glad that I sent my email, my very, very long email. (laughs) um, I think was like right in the middle balls deep in COVID and I was slowly going insane in my basement. Um, and I had just started listening to some different podcasts, Marin, uh, a couple of different fan podcasts, kiss podcasts. And I came across this one and I was like, I'm gonna, I, these guys are just like me. Um, I felt like I was, part of the crew before I was part of the crew. And then, uh, when you asked me to be a regular, I just, you know, I fell right in and thank you. And you guys saved my life. 
because uh, it showed me that I could step out the bo- outside of the box and uh, you know do something out of the ordinary and unexpected. And here I am. You done Which, fucking amazing, Lou. You're fucking Lou, amazing, dude. You're the funniest motherfucker I have ever heard on a podcast. You got to keep killing it. You're killing uh, it. And I owe this all to the R4 podcast. So mm-hmm. thank you very much. <laughs> so fucking. You're writing and, and making so jokes. much more funnier than me. <laughs> oh God, no, there's not many. Oh, dude, you gotta keep doing this. Whatever way, man, you'll you'll figure it out. I'll let, man, fuck. I'm so happy that I. I know I'm you real guys. happy that David and, and Ian and Jason have picked up this. Uh, you know, me too. And, uh, picked up the ball and are going to run with it. Cause, uh, yeah. yeah, I've, I've got exciting, uh, you know, exciting things in the future. It's going to be, it's going to be great, man. Can't Fuck wait. Yeah. Take a look at that album cover. Simple, clean, elegant, a beam of light refracting into the colors of a visible spectrum through a triangular prism against a black background designed by Storm Thorgerson and created by George Hardy, an associate of famed art design group Hypnosis. One of the most iconic album covers in rock history and is the gateway to one of the most beloved and popular albums of all time. The record was originally conceived by Roger Waters as a concept album about things that could drive people mad based on the band's arduous lifestyle and the mental deterioration of their former bandmate Sid Barrett. They wrote the songs and took the new material on the road, beginning in January 1972, before the band even recorded them, and over a year before the album would be released. Using the latest in technology to present the music in the best possible light, Pink Floyd worked on and honed the new songs in progress on the tour, at that time called Dark Side of the Moon, a piece for assorted lunatics, which took them from Europe to Japan to the United States and back to Europe ending on May 21st, 1972. The band began the sessions for the new record on May 24th of that year, three days later. The album would be comprised of two song suites, one on each side of the record, representing the stages of human life and exploring the nature of human experience. The songs were recorded at the time using state-of-the-art advanced recording techniques and demonstrated innovations in flanging, reverb, phase shifting, voice and tape effects, and panning. When Dark Side was released, it met with critical success, and holy shit, did it become commercially successful, going multi-platinum in sales all over the world, and currently sits at over 45 million albums sold worldwide, making it Pink Floyd's best-selling album, the best-selling album of the 1970s, and the fourth biggest seller in music history. I suspect it might even be higher than that, but thats I digress. On a slow week, the album to this day sells 8,000 to 9,000 units. It has charted 988 non-consecutive weeks on the Billboard 200 chart as of January 2024. This thing is a monolith, a staggeringly successful achievement. And I used to hate this album. Now, I quite like it. Quite a bit, actually. But I'm never going to be the Pink Floyd guy. This band doesn't even make my top 100 favorite bands of all time. And even though I've gained a genuine appreciation for them, I do not worship at the altar of Dark Side or Pink Floyd, for that matter. 
I recognize its importance, and I fully understand why this album has the reputation and status that it does. There's a lot on this record I like musically, and the album to me is where Roger Waters really blossoms as a lyricist. I would never deny that there's iconic, timeless music on this. But there are points on it that I'm rather indifferent about, and even one track I really don't care for at all. Music is subjective, right? I give The Dark Side of the Moon a three and a half, and hey, I would never try to shit on anyone's Dark Side Parade. Go ahead, put on The Wizard of Oz, blaze up and enjoy yourselves. I support you, 100%. Now we'd like to thank Tony Thomas from the Little Bit of Synergy podcast for coming back one more time to get Floydian with us. Plug your stuff, man. We just did episode 101 this past weekend, so it continues, and I'm going to do another 100. I don't know how, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see a little bit of synergy on YouTube and all uh, Audible podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google. Um, my music, my album, my second album I plan to release uh, in February, I'm trying. I'm shooting for Lunar New Year uh, as the date. Thank you, thank you. It's called uh, Music of the Glyphs, and um, it's it's my best stuff. The best stuff I've done over the last three years since I started uh, with with sound synthesis. Um, this one is more palpable than the last. Uh, every song on it has a beat. It's not hypnotic. It's not designed to put you in trances. Like the other stuff. Uh, anyway, shout out to you guys. Thank you again one one last time. Uh, hope to see you on Synergy. I'll return sometime for sure. And Tony, I personally just thank you for joining us, becoming one of our brothers, and becoming one of the Zappa Dicks. And yeah, man, and, and so glad to see you start up your podcast and having the success that it's had, the guests that you've had. You've had some pretty big names on that show. So that's great. Very proud of you, man. Way to go, brother. Thank you, brothers. And also, we'd like to thank David Hudson from the State of America podcast for returning once again. David, soon all of this will be yours. You can follow us on all the, the platforms um, and the R4 socials. will One of us will be taking over that. We haven't gotten that far down the road. Um, State of America is about to issue proper episode 100 it's really our 135th episode but it's our uh, 100th uh, charlie star of blackberry smoke is going to be our guest black crows have new music coming out coming out march 15th they got a tour so we're going to heat up with all of that uh from what i've been told by somebody there at the studio it's a big fat rock record um so looking forward to that we're on patreon and uh, yeah you'll be hearing from us uh soon on at this uh at this download site i think march the first is going to be the the takeover date uh, looking forward to episode number 300 you're knocking out two of my top five albums back to back man and david i just want to thank you for coming on this podcast and taking it over uh i love state of america you know it's it's black crow centric you've had incredible guests on that show too jeez i mean you guys do an outstanding job over there you and ian and jd and uh i can't thank you enough for taking this over. I'm, I I can't wait to hear what you guys are going to come up with. So I have to say, Sam and Lou, there were two points during the recording of this show where I was at a very low ebb. 
the first time was like early, I was maybe 20 something, 30 episodes in. And I was just like, I don't even know if I want to do this. I had like maybe 20 to 30 listeners, downloads. And I was like, I can't even, I, I don't even know if I want, this really sucks. And then I got an email from this guy who said, I love your show. You're doing a great job. This is the best thing ever. And just let's do a Lenny Kravitz album. I got all pumped up. It, it, it kept me going. It brought me up from that low place. Sam, that was you. You were the first person to reach out to me and tell me that you liked the R4 podcast. So because of you, I kept going and your friendship over the years has meant the world to me. I love having you on the episode. You make me laugh. You're a genuinely good dude. And I appreciate you more than you will ever know. Lou, Jesus Christ. When you reached out to me, when I got your big, long email, I was again at a very low point. I was like burnt out. I was, you know, I just from all the work and the, and the, and the things that go into making the podcast that, you know, that David Eden intimated at. I was like, I don't know if I, again, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm feeling burnt out. I had even gone to like every other week instead of every week. And I was still just like, ah, and then you reached out to me and you came on the show and you became a regular and then you kind of became like my second. You were like like picking me up and keeping me and keeping me going. You even uh, took over and hosted a few episodes to help me out. You edited a couple of episodes to take some of the burden off of me. You are one of the funniest motherfuckers I've ever met in my life. You have been such a boon to this podcast. You you a part. You're you're a big part of the reason I think that some of the numbers have gone up because just people like to hear the shit that you say. You're just so fucking funny, and your friendship has meant the world to me, too. You know, we know each other on a personal level. We're friends. We're all friends here now. And, you know, again, dude, I, you'll never know how much what you have meant to me for this podcast. So thank you, brother. Love you, man. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm the Super Listener Sam. And I'm Lou Figaro. See ya. (laughs) I'll have what she's having. Floyd's always been there. Oh, something's going on. Somebody's in the background. Alexa's <laughs> in the background. Is that Alexa? I keep hearing this like crackle. I hear this crackle and then I just heard a voice. <laughs> All right. Lou, go ahead and start for the start for the beginning. Lou, your thoughts. Hey, I'm sorry guys. I gotta I gotta go pee. Is go that pee. okay? Go pee. I do as well. So do it. All right. Sorry. All good, man. I edited it. I edited it.
Guys, I gotta take a quick piss break and then I'll, I'll do my. I'll be right back. Have I not talked about this song yet? What's that? Am I doing great giving Scott already? Oh, yeah, you let it off. You let it off. This is on like Flow State, man. <laughs> I don't remember that red light. Yeah. <laughs> Lee, you upgraded my phone, man. What happened? You upgraded my phone. My phone got... <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it said, uh, this phone needs to cool down before you can use it. <laughs> I went and put the, uh, the blower on it. Never said that. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. 